Good morning. We are thankful for the presence of each one this morning, thankful for a beautiful day that the Lord has blessed us with, and the fact that we can be here this morning. I'm going to, uh, and Mike's working well this morning, isn't it? <laughs> I'm going to have you take a look at a couple of slides as we get into our lesson, and then uh, we'll be talking about marriage in the beginning. And... Uh, it's an amazing thing, kind of what's been happening around here lately. You know, it's like, be careful when you drink the water out there. You may want to marry somebody. I don't know. <laughs> you may want to renew your vows or something. So uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. I thought this would be uh, maybe appropriate at this time for us to uh, talk about marriage. So take a look at that. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. We'll go on there in just a minute. It's Moses that writes how marriage was intended to be from the beginning. And marriage wasn't envisioned by government, and it wasn't developed by some social organization. Uh, marriage was conceived and born in the mind of God. Man and woman, created in the image of God, created male and female, and then submission. And those roles were designed by God. We'll be taking a look at all that rather quickly this morning. If someone were to ask you, who should I talk to as a marriage counselor, or where should I seek out advice? There's a man, Dr. Gottman, that is world-renowned. A lot of people look at his material. From years gone by, there was a man by the name of James Dobson. Remember him? <laughs> and a lot of people, he was the one who started the Family Institute, founder of that. A lot of people sought him out. Gary Chapman, the five love languages now, is, is popular. One of the names that maybe doesn't immediately come to mind, <laughs> Moses. <laughs> and yet Moses is exactly where you ought to go whenever you want to talk about marriage and the way that it was intended to be. It was Moses who penned the book of Genesis. And Genesis is the book of beginnings we oftentimes talk about. It's the beginning of creation. It's the beginning of man. It's the beginning of sin. It's the beginning of the promise of a Savior. It's the beginning of marriage. And so what I want us to do today, we're going to consider three points. What does it mean that man and woman were created in the image of God? And then secondly, what about this gender? What does it mean that God created them male and female? What's the significance of that? And then what about submission? <laughs> and Eve as a suitable helper. So as we start, I just want to make two quick points before we get right to those three points. In our society today, male and female, that distinction, <laughs> which I thought would never be questioned or challenged, but that's talked about today, and so we'll take a look at that. And then that whole concept, that whole idea about submission, <laughs> boy, that's a rub, isn't it? <laughs> and we'll take a look at that. 
And what I, the reason why I mention those as we begin is because I just asked this. Before you make up your mind about those things, just give Moses a chance. <laughs> give, give God a chance to explain those things. You may find out that uh, you agree with him a lot more than maybe what you originally thought you did. Created. I've already talked about that. We'll talk about this one. <laughs> Created in God's image. Try to think back for just a moment to the setting and Moses penning these words. Think about Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. And he's writing this down. I believe we're not going to spend time trying to establish that this morning because that could be a whole other lesson. So I'm just going to assume, and I want you to know, <laughs> I absolutely believe that Moses was the one who penned these first five books. And so when you think about Genesis, and when you think about Genesis 1, and when you think about Genesis 2, which you're going to be taking a look at this morning, think about Moses in the desert, in the wilderness of Sinai, and he's sitting down, and he's going to write these things. And think about who he's writing to. There's the children of Israel. There's the descendants of Abraham. And Moses is going to write these words and then deliver these words to them. Think about the fact. These are Hebrews. And they've been slaves. And their forefathers have been slaves in Egypt for a long time. Do you think that as Moses penned these words, and as they would get a chance to hear these words, do you think there might have been any cultural bias at that time? You know, that's one of the concerns today is that there's cultural bias when we come to the scriptures. Well, I want to ask you, do you think there was any cultural bias at that time? How do you think women would have been viewed in that day and age? How do you think marriage would have been viewed in that day and age? Moses is going to write these words. <laughs> and I think he's going to enlighten a lot of people. Do you think as Moses wrote these words, we'll get to it in just a moment. <laughs> do you think he ever paused and kind of scratched his head and thought, wow. <laughs> I'm going to have to look at Zephora <laughs> a little bit different. Sometimes when I read this, I think about what was that like when Moses first heard those words and when he first wrote them down. Moses is the one who writes Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. Now, it wasn't divided up in chapter 1 and verse 27 in that day and time, okay? That came much later. But Moses wrote those words. 
and he created them, male and female, in his image, he created them. I wonder if Moses stopped and kind of thought, wow. God says he created us both in his image. And then he wrote in Genesis chapter 2, I will make him a helpmate suitable for him. And the two shall become one. Now Moses didn't write what I'm getting ready to say next. But I wonder if he ever thought about it. And we oftentimes say these words, and I'll probably be saying them here before long. <laughs> she was not taken from his head to rule over him. She was not taken from his feet to be trampled on by him. She was taken from his side. To be equal with him. From under his arm. To be protected by him. Near his heart. To be loved by him. You ever heard that before? <laughs> Moses didn't write that. <laughs> but I wonder if Moses thought that. Wait a minute. <laughs> he made them male and female. And then he says he's going to make a helper suitable for him. Wow, it's kind of the way it was when it all started. Let me give you an example of what I might or I might think that Moses would have sat and pondered. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, where the woman is brought to Adam and then he says, For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother, and he shall cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Moses wrote that by inspiration. I want you to turn over to the book of Genesis, the fourth chapter, for just a moment, because Moses wrote this too. Genesis, the fourth chapter, at verse 18. To Enoch was born Irad, and to Irad begot Mehujael, and Mehujael begot Methuselah, and Methuselah begot Lamech. Now watch it. Then Lamech took for himself two wives, and the name of the one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. Genesis chapter 2. And the two shall become one. Genesis chapter 4. Moses is writing by inspiration because he wasn't there when that took place. That was a lot of generations earlier. And he pens Lamech took two wives. I wonder if Moses stopped and he thought, that's where that got started. 
It's that Lamech character. <laughs> and then he thought, that's not what God's telling me now. And that's not the way it was in the beginning. Marriage in the beginning wasn't that way. So who changed it? Man did somewhere along the line. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, Moses wrote, And I will make a helpmate suitable for him. I want you to turn to Exodus, the fourth chapter. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18 says, And I will make a helpmate suitable for him. And see, sometimes that's kind of the rub today. Oh, she's suitable as a helpmate. Well, Moses wrote this too. Exodus, the fourth chapter. I'm going to read verse 19 and 20, and then I'm going to skip down. Exodus chapter 4 at verse 19. Now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. This is the occasion when God has already spoken with Moses, and he's sending him back to Egypt. He's going to deliver the children of Israel. And Moses has got his wife and he's got his son, and they're headed for Egypt. Verse 24. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. You ever read that before? God was going to kill Moses. He's headed back to Egypt. They stopped to lodge. And the Lord meets him and he's going to kill him. Verse 25, then Zephorah, that's Moses' wife, took a sharp stone and she cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, surely you are a husband of blood to me. Verse 26, so he let him go. Then she said, you are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. Verse 27. And the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. <laughs> Strange little story, isn't it? See, I think Exodus chapter 4 sheds some light on Genesis chapter 2. Because in Genesis chapter 2, he says, I'm going to make a helpmate for you. Someone suitable for you. Exodus chapter 4 is Moses. And he's headed back to Egypt. They stop to camp and God meets him. And he's going to kill him. Zephorah steps up. Circumcises their son and God lets him go 
You see what just happened there? <laughs> Sephora just saved his life. Why did she save his life? Moses is a descendant of Abraham, and the sign of the covenant with Abraham is that you are going to circumcise your sons. God is now sending Moses to deliver a million and a half people. And what's he going to teach him? You need to listen to the Lord. <laughs> you need to do what the Lord says. Moses? <laughs> you need to get your house in order, Moses. And Zephora circumcises their son. She said, you're a husband of blood to me. <laughs> Do you think that mother wanted to do that? She didn't want to hurt that child, did she? Moms don't want to do that. <laughs> but she knew what needed to be done. And she stepped up and did it <laughs> to save her husband. She didn't like it, but she did it. Now, let me ask you a question. Was she a helpmate suitable? Did she see what needed to be done? And did she step up and help Moses? She sure did. <laughs> Moses wrote that. Think about that. Moses wrote that. And so when he's sitting there in the desert of Sinai, he thought, maybe I ought to thank her <laughs> now that I'm writing this. <laughs> the nation of Israel ought to thank that woman. Because if it wasn't for her, <laughs> there's no Moses. <laughs> and who knows, if it's not for Moses, <laughs> they don't get delivered. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27 says, God made them male and female. Here's the first point. God created both and they were equal. Rule number one. Don't ever forget that. They were both created equal. In his image. I wonder if Moses ever went out amongst the guys and said, Huddle up, guys. <laughs> I got to remind you of something here. Do you think that might have been controversial in that day and time? Hey, guys, we're equal. So, what does it mean in his image? Well, tell me, let me tell you first of all what it doesn't mean. John chapter 4 and verse 24, Jesus said, God is the spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Luke the 24th chapter, Jesus also explains that a spirit does not have flesh and bones. So when we say we are created in his image, it's not in this physical form that we are talking about. 
So oftentimes when we talk about that man and woman are created in his image, it means like as. And so God has intellect. God has emotions. God has a will. But God also has a moral disposition. And so we think about that for man and for woman. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 29 says that God made man upright, but he has sought out many devices. So what we need to understand from that is that man does have an intellect. He does have emotions. He does have will. He does have a moral disposition. He can understand right and wrong, light and dark, good and evil. And so man was created that way, man and woman. Did Zephora understand that? <laughs> Moses, you dropped the ball. <laughs> God's going to kill you for this. And she stepped up. See, animals, they don't have that consciousness about themselves like man does. My dog he gets a chance, would have no problems with going next door and stealing that dog's food. <laughs> and he would bring it home, and he wouldn't worry about it. Man has a conscience, and we think about those things. We have an awareness of us. And Ecclesiastes 7 says that God made man upright, but he has sought out many devices. Somewhere along that line, and we know where it is, that image got damaged, didn't it? And man makes the wrong choices. And it further deteriorates the image that he ought to be reflecting. But in Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 4 is where Paul talks about we are renewed in the image of the one who created us. That's what God wants to restore. Man and woman, both created in his image, equal, capable to reflect his image. Moses made a wrong decision. Zipporah pointed it out. And God was holding him accountable. And then Zipporah stepped in. She understood what was right in his image. We need to understand that. Both have that ability. Secondly, secondly, created male and female. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, once again, that when God created them, he created them male and female in his image. So they would understand that. But the other question is, as you think about Moses and you think about writing, you think about that day and time, did they understand and appreciate how special that is? And we could ask the same question now, can we? <laughs> can we now? Do we understand and we, do we uh, appreciate how special that is? Because it seems like, if you think about that day and time in that culture, 
They had clearly lost sight of that. Women were second-class citizens. Oftentimes, barely anything more than property. And as Lamech show, shows, sometimes they had more than one wife. And marriage was predominantly at male discretion. And that's the way it was handled. So they had diminished part of the equation. And once again today, that's being diminished, isn't it? And so now in our society, it seems though to me, that because in past generations that the woman has not been valued the way that she should be, now the pendulum starts to swing the other way. And let's elevate the female, not to bring her back up equal. <laughs> we got to get that guy. And <laughs> we got to devalue him. Isn't that the way it is now? So now they're just trying to reverse what history kind of messed up to begin with. Now they're going to. And then now, oh, let's forget this whole thing. <laughs> let's don't have female and male. It's just gender neutral. Well, that's not the way it was in the beginning. And so no matter what society may say today, just like in that day and time when Moses was writing these things, it doesn't matter, Moses, what your culture says. What matters is what God's telling you. It's the same thing today. We don't decide this based upon what culture says. We decide this based upon what God says. So Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, as has been stated before in regards to other scriptures, it stands there like Mount Everest, doesn't it? There they are. It's man and it's woman, and that's the way God created them. That's the way it is. Let me remind you of something else Moses wrote. Exodus chapter 20, about verses 4 and 5. This is where God is delivering through Moses the Ten Commandments. And one of the commandments that God gives to them through Moses is, secondly, Thou shalt bear no graven image, and thou shalt not make for thyself any image. God is not like some winged bird or some four-footed animal or something that creeps along the ground or swims in the water. Do not make for yourself an image. You ever stopped and thought about this? God says, don't, don't make an image of me. Why not? Well, first of all, because I'm not like those things. But secondly, and most importantly, God already beat you to it. God made an image of himself. That's Genesis chapter 1. In his image, he created them, male and female. What God's saying is, you need a visual 
right there. Man and woman. There to be a reflection of me. So if you need a visual, I've already given you one. Moses wrote those words to Israel, which God had brought out of bondage. Slaves for centuries. Second-class citizens in a foreign country. Women degraded. Men slaves. And God says, no, no. Let me tell you how it was from the beginning. You were created in my image. Let me tell you how you got here. Let me tell you what you're doing here. Let me tell you what your purpose is. Let me tell you where you're going. You think that might have had an impact on those people? Do you think it might have an impact today to tell somebody? Culture may beat you down. They may say this or that about you. And sometimes in people's heads, whether it's male or female, they may grow up with a recording in their head because they've had it screamed at them, beat into them. You're not worth anything. But God comes along. He says, don't listen to what culture is trying to tell you. Or somebody that don't love you is trying to tell you. You listen to me. Somebody that does love you. And knows why you were created. And knows why you're here. And knows the plans that I have for you. What God was saying with this group of people was. I want to make a statement. To the rest of the world. And first. I got to get you to believe who you are. And who I am. And then we can make a statement. To the rest of the world about who they are and who he is. So he says, if you want to see me, right there. It's male and female. That's the way it was from the beginning. Interesting statement that is made in the close of Genesis chapter 1. All through chapter 1, God is creating. And after each step, it says, And God saw what he had made, and it was good. But in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, after God has created man and woman, verse 27, in his image, it's not till after the woman is created. Verse 31 
it says, and God saw what he had made, and it was very good. Male and female. Let me tell you quickly. When I was a kid growing up, came from a large family, lived on the farm. The boys for entertainment, sometimes we would just go outside, go to the woods or whatever, and we would break off like long limbs, sticks, whatever, and we would make stick ponies. And then we would take other limbs, break them off, and make guns, <laughs> rifles. And then we would play cowboys and, well, you can't say that anymore. <laughs> so we would play cowboys and indigenous Native Americans. <laughs> and we run around shooting everybody. And if we lost our rifle, it's okay, I got my finger and my thumb. <laughs> and the girls sometimes would play like house party. And we would think, that's so dumb. <laughs> and they would think, you guys are so dumb. Somewhere along the way, though, we came to understand Genesis 2 and verse 18. <laughs> and I will make a helpmate suitable for him. In Genesis 2, verse 18 through 20, it's where God says, and it's not good for the man to be alone. And I will make this helpmate suitable. So what follows is, is that God takes all the animals and he brings them to Moses and he names them. But the unique part is, is that Moses, or I mean Adam, did I say Moses? Moses wrote about what Adam did, okay? <laughs> and Adam named all of them. But it says there was not a suitable companion for him. Why God do that? Well, there's a couple of reasons. We'll talk about the second part in just a moment. First, I think God wanted Adam to see you're alone. There's nothing else. None of these animals are like you. And I think Adam saw that. Out of all that God had blessed him with, and where he had placed him, and he had placed him in the garden. See, Genesis chapter 2 is really further explanation on Genesis chapter 1. <laughs> kind of helps you to see how things came together. And he might have looked around and he might have thought, wow, there's, you know, food, and there's a nice environment, God has taken care of me, but I feel kind of alone. And so God brings the animals and he names them, in the, and I think that's to help him to understand that it's not complete yet, that there's an emptiness, that there's a lack, that there's something missing, and Adam didn't have the answer and he couldn't complete it on his own 
So God causes a deep sleep to fall upon him. And then he takes a rib. And he forms. And it's interesting when you look at the word there. He forms, he fashions that woman. Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, <coughs> she shall be called <coughs> woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. One translation says cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Verse 25, and they were both naked the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Adam says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She's like me. And the two, because she's like me, shall become one. And it says, they were naked and they were not ashamed. They were different, but they were alike. One flesh. This pair was distinct from all the others. So the two, created in the image of God, can be one. We're different. But me and you, we're alike. I'm glad you're here. And that oneness that is indicated there, it's like there's a mutual appreciation. Eve said, I'm glad you're here too. One writer says it this way, about verses 18 through 25. It said, Adam, as the image of God, shows knowledge by naming the animals. He shows righteousness by his approval of Eve. And for God's arrangement for the two of them and for marriage. And he shows holiness. Remember when we talked about that? It's distinct. It's different. He shows holiness by clinging to his wife. She's different, but she's like me. And he could enjoy what God had done for him. Once again, it's in verse 31 that then it says that God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. He created them male and female. They're distinct, but they're the same. Thirdly, thirdly, submission. If you have the outline, it probably says submission and that suitable helper, because <laughs> that's what we really need to give consideration to. Suitable helper. <laughs> what do the feminists think about that? <laughs> I'll tell you what they think about it. It goes something like this. Honey, would you hold the flashlight while I hook up the cable to my new big screen TV? And then after the game comes on, 
would you mind fixing me some of those nachos? <laughs> and she's like, nachos? <laughs> you want some nachos, do you? <laughs> and so the feminists, they kind of think, help her. Boy, that's disgusting. So you think this woman is your helper. Genesis 2 and verse 7, and God fashioned, God formed. It's from the Hebrew, Yetzar. The image is like a potter that has intelligence and ability and skill. And he has in mind what he wants to make, what he wants to form, and he does that. So God is the master potter. He has the intelligence. He has the power. He knows what he wants to make. And he fashions them that way, male and female. And he makes them flesh. And then he breathes into their nostrils the breath of life. And they become animated. Isn't that amazing, the way that's depicted? God said in Genesis 1, and God said, and it was so, and God said, and it was so. But when it comes to man, God fashioned, formed him from the dust of the earth. And then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. There are various passages throughout the New Testament or throughout the scriptures which suggest in the image of God and when you think about God that God has a masculine and God has a feminine side and it's revealed according to his characteristics we've talked about this before when Jesus is talking about prayer he said pray this way our father and it's that masculine sort of image that we get our father who art in heaven in Isaiah the 40 and, and there's numerous passages I'm just going to mention a couple because we don't have time to mention them all but I'm telling you <laughs> there's a bunch of them in Isaiah the 42nd chapter it said the Lord will go forth like a warrior he will arouse his zeal like a man of war and so we get an image from that but in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 37 Jesus laments over Jerusalem. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you together like a hen, female, <laughs> like a hen gathers her chicks. That's that tender caring, pulling alongside. Isaiah the 49th chapter about verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion? On the son of her womb. Goes on to say. Even these may forget. But I will not forget you. It's like God is a mother. I can't. I can't forget you. So we see sometimes attributes are used to describe God 
in the masculine, sometimes in the feminine. But it's together. That's God. There's three terms that I just want to share with you quickly as we think about this. Because I think this is what helps us to understand this idea of helper. <laughs> there's helper, there's hierarchy, and there's suitable. First of all, the word helper. There's a profound difference between God's definition of helper and culture's, defi culture's definition of helper. See, because a lot of times whenever we use that word helper, it, it's kind of degrading. But in the scriptures, when you see that word helper, you see that word helper. It's not a put down. Oftentimes it's referring to someone with expertise and skill that is offered in love. And actually, this is where word study is beneficial. Numerous passages where you find that word helper, helper. A clear majority of the time, it's referring to God. <laughs> so you think that's a put down? <laughs> to be called help or helper? Out of all those passages in the Old Testament, you know how many times Eve is referred to as helper or helper? Two. <laughs> the rest of them. It's not referring to Eve. Psalms 33 and verse 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. Our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. Psalms 121, I will lift up mine eyes to the mountains from whence shall come my help. My help comes from the Lord who made me. New Testament, Hebrews, the 13th chapter, verse 6, so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. Does that kind of change your view a little bit? <laughs> Wait a minute. Maybe help and helpers, not such a negative thing after all. Three things about that word help and helper that we need to understand. And when we're thinking about God in those passages that refer to him. He has skills that we lack. He's aware of our needs. And then he supplies out of love help helper now the word suitable this word actually means opposite now a lot of husbands and wives may be a little bit opposite <laughs> but it doesn't mean in an adversarial type of way when it says opposite or when it says suitable and it means opposite, it's in the sense of standing face to face. That wall is opposite of that wall. So when it's talking about man and woman, they are opposite. They are face to face. And what that means is, is that they are aware of each other. 
They see each other. The wife, suitable helper, is in a position to see what her husband needs. And her help is to be appropriate in timing and in content. And what that means is she offers her help. She knows what he needs and when he needs it. And these skills that God has given to be a help, they're not offered in smugness or in superiority or with the design to gain control over the husband. They are suitable. It comes from a heart of love. It's 1 Corinthians 15, or 1 Corinthians 13, I'm sorry. In the flesh, created in God's image. God loves us, and he loves to benefit us. And she's created in his image. She imitates God, and she helps her husband. So ladies... I ask you a question. Would you be willing, with love, understanding, wisdom, to gift your husband with your skills and your expertise? That's the way God designed them. Suitable helper. Do you think Sephora keeps coming to my mind? Was a suitable helper for Moses? <laughs> with her skills and with her expertise and with her knowledge and understanding, Moses. <laughs> this is what you need. Last one, hierarchy. Once again, we have to try and get beyond stereotypes and understand hierarchy. I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians, New Testament. I would encourage you to read that entire chapter, especially verses 21 through 33, but I'm just going to read certain verses because of our time, and I know we're getting past where we need to be. Ephesians chapter 5. At verse 21. And this is a passage that needs to be considered because as you lead into the rest of this, it's going to talk about husbands and wives. But in Ephesians 5 and verse 21, it says, Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Submitting to one another. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 25. Husbands, Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 33, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. 
back up to Genesis for just a moment. In the first part of Genesis, both Adam and God name things. God creates, and he names the world, and he names the universe, and he names the day, the light he calls day, the darkness he calls night, the dry ground he calls the earth, and the waters gathered together he calls seas. He names these things. God has hierarchy. He's in that position over them. Genesis chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2. And God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was void and without form. But what follows is it yields to his words. And out of chaos, he brings order. We need to appreciate the fact that's one of the blessings that God has given us. He gives order to things. And under his care, it flourishes. So God takes Adam and he brings the animals to him. And whatever Adam calls them, that's what they are called. That's their name. But then God brings the woman. And Adam says, she shall be called woman. Chapter 3, her name shall be called Eve. For she is the mother of the living, of all the living. Hierarchy refers to orderly arrangement bringing order to what other could very easily be chaos. In culture, sometimes we think hierarchy. Well, that means that you think that one person is more valuable than the other one. And that's not God's definition. Well, in hierarchy, you think this person is smarter than that person. That's not what you see in the scriptures. Oh, in hierarchy, you think this person has more ability or this person has more skill than that person. And that's not what you see in the scriptures. So when you think about the husband and wife, don't think about one having more value or one being worth more or one being smarter than. The way you're supposed to think of it, the way God has revealed it within the first chapters of Genesis is responsibility. That's the way you should see it. God gave responsibility, and he gave responsibility to the man, and he gave responsibility to the woman. Adam, naming Eve, lets us know that God is making him responsible for her and to care for her. Both Adam and Eve were given the task of subduing and ruling over every living thing upon the earth, but it was Adam specifically, Genesis chapter 2, that is taken and he is placed in the garden first. And then when Adam names the living creatures, 
he accepts and he receives responsibility for them. And when Adam names his wife, he accepts and receives responsibility for her and to care for her. She's your equal, but you watch out for her and you care for her. Biblical hierarchy between man and woman has nothing to do with inequality of ability or inequality of value. It refers to differences in responsibility, not differences in worth. I'm going to close with this so you can chew on that a little bit. Genesis chapter 3. Adam, his sin went way beyond just eating that fruit. Adam also sinned when he didn't protect his wife. You're not going to talk to my wife like that. But Adam was there. And Satan tempted her, and she took. And then she gave to her husband with her. He was there. Why didn't he step up? If only Adam would have watched out for his wife. And only if Eve would have submitted to her husband. Because when you read those passages, God told Adam about that tree. Adam told Eve. But then she ignored what he had told her. They were in it together. <laughs> so their eating went beyond just that simple eating. They ignored the order that God had given. There it is. That was marriage from the beginning. Man and woman were created in his image, and God created them male and female. And God gave them roles, and he gave them responsibilities. God created hierarchy. God brought order. Man should love and care and protect his wife and sacrifice for her well-being. And the wife being opposite to, face-to-face to, is a skilled helper. And out of love and devotion, she should help her husband. Together they reflect the image of God. Genesis 1 and verse 31, and God saw what he had made, and it was very good. Well, that's marriage from the beginning. We could say some other things, but I've already gone long enough. I want to extend the invitation this morning to any and all that are here. If you've never rendered obedience to the gospel, and we could help you to do that this very day, we'd be thrilled to do that. If you're a child of God, and you need to come back and make your life right with the Lord, We'd be glad to assist you in that also. If we can help in any way, you let us know while together we stand and while we sing.